Hey everyone, this is Yeah But the Podcast. My name is Vivian Gabor, and sitting here with me is Pieretta Victoria. Hi, everybody. New York's designer extraordinaire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. You are uh, in the calm before the storm, just about to start going crazy with a lot of things. Yeah. Um, somehow, Bushwig and DragCon are the same weekend this year. Last year, one was at the beginning of the month, one was at the end of the month, and it was the worst month of my life. So we'll see how I hold up. This <laughs> might be what finally kills me. <laughs> right. Because um, they're both beginning of September, so yeah. it's literally a month from now. Mm-hmm. And they're both the same weekend, like oh God. September 7th, 8th, 9th. How, how does that schedule usually work for you? Like, you in terms of, like, 12 outfits a day or, like... <laughs> Last year... I think I had between three and five for Bushwig. Plus, I also had to get my own performance together, which I ended up like not being able to finish to the point that I wanted it to be done and was running around until 4 p.m. that day and then just threw my makeup on in an hour, jumped in a cab, got over to the venue right before my set time. (laughs) Um, DragCon, which you remember because you were there helping me. Yeah. I had 14 outfits due in a three-day window. Oh, my God. Yeah. I can't, I, I get stressed out if I have like three in a week. Yeah, that was <laughs> probably the worst my schedule has ever been. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. D- is it just, are you just not sleeping? Like, do you d- just yeah. have a really strict schedule or? Um, I just don't <laughs> sleep. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you do it because you like it and because yeah. you're very good at it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I mean... I, I love following your Instagram because it's just like <laughs> incredible idea after incredible idea. Um, are you the type of person that sits down and like designs th- an outfit like multiple times before you kind of come mm-hmm. to a thing or is, do you have an idea right away? It really depends on the project. A lot of times nowadays, like the clients come to me with their own ideas and it's either, you know, okay, I need like a witch outfit or I need something mm-hmm. that's like flowers or whatever or they'll show me like a celebrity photo or they'll just find some picture online and be like I really like this detailing can you figure out how to incorporate that so mm. depending on what the inspiration is then you know sometimes you know if it's something more generic like um, the Christmas outfit that I made for Sasha all she said was I want it to be plaid red and green clownish you know show me some sketches so I did like five different sketches and then she picked one of them and so there were like different sketches for the outfit different sketches for the hat and like everything was very like several rounds of design but then other things it's just like you know okay I want like this top this skirt this color go yeah 
I always find the ones where you, you start refining an idea, like you come up with your first idea and then you kind of go back and forth with the client. Those are the most fun for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause then it's, it's really, I think, that's where I like designing is that collaborative effort of getting inside an artist's mind and being able to help them create Hmm. this picture that they have. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And something that's interesting that kind of, they didn't really tell us about in school because we had like sewing draping classes and we had design classes, which were separate is like Mm -hmm. a lot of times things change from the concept to when you're actually making them because once you're working with it, you're like, Oh, maybe it would look better if I did that. And you know, then you just send them the picture and they're like, what do you think about this? And then it just like, you know, doesn't end up looking like the original concept, but usually it's better. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes the fabric informs Mm -hmm. kind of that design process because you'll have a design and then you go and you find the fabric that you're looking for but then there's one like right next to it that you're like wait a second this Mm -hmm. would be better and then the concept changes from there yeah that's why going into spandex world is a dangerous (laughs) thing for me i've also had this weird problem like every few weeks where a client has a very specific fabric in mind that I know that I've seen before, and then I go in and we spend an hour looking for it and it no longer exists. Yeah. Oh <laughs> my God, yes. That happened to me with one client. Yeah. And with, like, if it's someone that's out of town, I just have them look at the website mm-hmm. and then I go in and grab it and it's all good. But it was like a clearance fabric and then it disappeared. And so they went and found like three other possible fabrics and those were all gone. And it's just like, oh my God, what do we do now? Yeah, but very strange things like, you know, short pink faux fur or like a Carmen Miranda big floral print that just does not exist. Yeah, right. And then you like. And then, of course, six months later, then all of a sudden it's everywhere. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. (laughs) Of course. And like you'll check Spandex World and then they don't have it. So you run down to Spandex House. And then Mm -hmm. like we I did that yesterday with a friend and we were we checked our our like um steps on our iPhones after that and we had walked five miles just around the garment oh. district just trying to find fabric. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so people who think it's easy finding fabric in New York. <laughs> I think the problem is there's too many choices. There are too many choices and then people expect that you can find anything and mm-hmm. then you expect that you can find anything and then you just go crazy. Yeah. Um, so how did you how did you get started on this journey? So I went to FIT for fashion design. I had been taking high school classes there since I was 16. I went there for college. And then, so the way FIT works is you go for two years for like general fashion design, you get an associate's degree. And then you can either stop there or you can go for another two years, do a specialization and get a bachelor's degree. So I decided to do that. And at this point I was kind of moving more towards costume but wasn't really sure like at this point Mm -hmm. i wanted to be like the next you know betsy johnson alexander mcqueen galliano of course um but then around like 2010 11 that whole section of the market just like fell apart Mm. like betsy johnson went bankrupt mcqueen died galliano had his big weird racist meltdown um (laughs) mugler also had some weird meltdown at that time and then all of a sudden so it was also like in the middle of the economy crashing yeah the mainstream fashion got very like minimalist neutral colors very safe very boring mm-hmm. and there was no market for anyone doing what I wanted to do in the high fashion world like Jeremy Scott Moschino didn't really exist yet mm-hmm. I mean he did but like he was basically the laughing stock yeah. of 
the industry. Um, so I like almost dropped out of school because my professors hated what I was doing so much. Oh no. Um, like I was one of three people in my class who didn't get into the senior fashion show. Oh my God. Because everyone else was doing, you know, black, gray, tan, like drapey or structural, just like minimalist things mm-hmm. and mine was inspired by it was like 50s housewife meets Marie Antoinette black and white graphic prints with lavender bows and sequins yes. <laughs> and it just didn't go with anything else that was I would have loved to see that <laughs> I actually found them when I was at my parents house a couple oh weeks God. ago <laughs> that's amazing um, so then for our final semester we're supposed to have this internship it's like built in as part of a class that you like put in a certain amount of hours and you have to write a paper at the end um and they want you to do it at uh, oh, so i i specialized in evening wear and special occasion okay figuring that would most help me mm-hmm. going into costumes uh, learn how to do you know sequins and lace and embellishments and corsetry and stuff like yeah, that of course um the other ones were like Sportswear, intimate apparel, children's wear, menswear, knitwear, which was like sweaters, not spandex. Yeah. Um, and we actually did do spandex and foundation garments as part of evening wear, so that helped me a lot with what I do now. Yeah, completely. Um, so for the internship, they wanted us to like be at a real fashion house. Like I think six or seven people in my class were working for. Oscar de la Renta or one of these like really high fashion even yeah. warehouses and so I just like went into the database and searched costume to see what came up and then this company Screaming Queens Entertainment popped up and I was reading through their thing and they're like we do drag queens showgirls circus performers club kids just like this sounds cool that sounds amazing yeah <laughs> so I sent them a resume then I like applied for a couple other fashion houses just because mm-hmm. they like wanted us to apply for three or five yeah um and then i got a call back for that one went to this weird little basement in the east village with like showgirl headdresses hanging from yes. the ceiling um and i really liked it there and i said yes against the wishes of the internship counselor <laughs> <laughs> um I ended up getting a B in the class because they didn't like that I was not at a real fashion house because, you know, in the paper you were supposed to write about, like, manufacturing and sizes and all these things that had nothing to do with what I was doing. Mm -hmm. So my paper was basically, you know, yeah, I spent three months, like, repairing sequin gowns and making feather headdresses and, you know, trying on Marie Antoinette wigs and going to the Google holiday party and, like, all of this... (laughs) really interesting stuff and what it taught me you know mm-hmm. in my like what i learned in my internship paper was basically the thesis was regardless of what my professors are telling me there is a place for me to do what i want to do so i'm gonna go do that yeah completely and even though i didn't get a good grade in the class and even though they didn't want me to do it i'm the only one i know of who got a job out of my internship that's amazing <laughs> so once i was working with all of these people then when it caught on that I knew how to sew. And this was back, like, 2012, where, like, drag designers weren't as much of a thing. Mm-hmm. That it was basically just, like, me, Ivy Winters, who at that point had just left for filming, so she wasn't around anymore, and yeah. Yuha was just starting. So, like, there weren't that many, so it, it picked up very quickly from there once the drag performers found out 
that I was making costumes and like knew how to work with their sensibilities. Yeah, completely. So for a couple of years, I was just working with the local people. And then I got lucky that Peppermint, who I had known through Screaming Queens, mm. ended up on Drag Race. And there had been a gig for Screaming Queens that she had worked at where I had made everyone else's costumes and then she wanted to save money and decided she was just going to bring her own outfit. And then she saw what everyone else's looked like next to hers. And then the next day was like, please help me with my outfits for the show. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so she was the first person that you worked on for Drag Race. Yeah. I, I don't remember what the timeline was. I think I did do some work for Acid Betty. I think it might have been like after I worked with Peppermint, but before it aired on the show. Okay. So it's a little bit fuzzy. Yeah. But yeah. That's awesome. What is what is that like? Can I, I can only imagine the pressure is intense. <laughs> that one was particularly <laughs> scary because it was right like a couple of days before she left. She and she basically said like I have a couple hundred dollars left in my PayPal. I need this like whatever you can make me with this amount. I want something big, something red, like regal looking. Like, whatever you can do in the next two days, fine. Wow. Yeah. So it was basically <laughs> two days of me running back and forth between going up to her place to take measurements, going to the garment district, buying fabric, coming back here sewing, going up to Harlem to do a fitting, come back here, buy more materials, go back here, go back up to Harlem. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, God. And so how many... And I don't want to focus on this too long because right. it's not, like, the most exciting thing in relatively. It is exciting, but um, I know you have a lot of other stuff that you work on as well. Mm -hmm. um, how many Rue Girls have you worked for? Um, Roughly. So, there's my ones that I work with regularly, mm -hmm. which would be Peppermint, Monet, Sasha, Honey... And then some of the ones who I can't talk about yet. Of course. Um, but then we don't want to give away any secrets yet <laughs> because NDA. <laughs> um, there's a few others who I've done like one or two things for. Like I've just started working with Bob. That this is her fabric. Yes. <laughs> oh, got. it's so pretty. Um, and then like random other things. Like I made one thing for Asia once. Um, the ones I was just telling you about. The ones that Peppermint saw. So that was, and this was 2013, 14, Miss um, Cracker and Scarlet Envy were in that group. Mm, yeah, so yeah. I technically made things for them like before we had ever even officially met and they had no idea they were going to be on the show. Um, who else? I don't even remember. <laughs> and I mean, at the end of the, at the end of the podcast, I'll ask for you to yes. give your Instagram and stuff so people can look at these outfits, but you've made some incredible ones. Thank you. Um, what are <laughs> what are some of your favorite things that you've made? I hate this question because I, it, I love choose your children. Yes. Choose your children. <laughs> <laughs> Someone asked me this on Instagram and it was like a 16 page slideshow of like. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is one of these things like I'm really bad. Like as soon as someone asks me something and yeah, I don't totally. have it in front of me, I'm like, I forget everything I've ever made. That's fair. Um, I know you've made a lot of stuff for nightgowns, which there's some incredible pieces that you've done for that. Yeah, I just finished for their Pride show, 
which they weren't visually the most impressive, but technically I was really happy with them. Because mm-hmm. it was a... There were five pieces, four layers of reveals. So Whoa. it was three dresses, a gown skirt, and then there were like matching like mesh tights that went underneath. So it was basically, she comes out... And it's like a Judy Garland number. So she has, it like mm-hmm. looks like a big voluminous gown. And then the skirt comes off and it's this little pencil dress. Yeah. And then she's doing the song. And so it then it goes into Come Rain or Come Shine. Mm-hmm. So she starts out in a regular dress. And then she's dancing around and then it starts raining. She grabs this umbrella. And then the umbrella blows away. And then she has like half a second to pop backstage, do the tearaway, comes back out. It's the same dress, but now it's covered in the teardrop paillettes to look like <gasps> it's being rained on. And she has a wig change that also looks like it's wet oh and it has the paillettes in it. And then she pops backstage again. There you hear like thunder and lightning. And then she comes back out. And then there's a third dress that's the same dress. But n- this time it's like full of holes and it's like charred and burned like she got <laughs> electrocuted. Yes. So that one was really fun to do. Because I spent several hours just like cutting holes, melting the edges, painting it so it looked burnt. Yeah. Um, and then I was really nervous because it was like non-stretch upholstery velvet. Oh God! So yeah. Like, how am I gonna hide all of this and make it not look bulky? Because she's very particular about her silhouette. Mm-hmm. But then we tried it on, and when she has all four layers on, you would never know there's anything underneath. Oh wow! And people after the show were like, "Were you like?" burning things backstage how did you do that because they it was so seamless that people didn't even realize that it was just a tearaway <laughs> that's incredible yeah. and i mean that speaks to your skill as a designer as well that people thought that things were just happening backstage mm-hmm. instead of having it ready to go it's also the suspension of disbelief you know nightgowns has that kind of like you know maybe they are just setting things on fire kind of that's <laughs> <vibe>. fair <laughs> i've never gotten the the chance to go see it but mm-hmm. Yeah, that's from what I hear in the videos I see that yeah god that's yeah, amazing I mean, at the same show Vander was like stapling things to her face so <laughs> it's not completely <sighs> out of the realm of possibility yeah totally <laughs> <laughs> um so and beyond so beyond being a designer mm-hmm. you also are a performer yes. yourself um did that come first or did that come later as a yeah I very much fell into that backwards because I was doing the design thing and then I decided that I wanted to like teach myself makeup to like be able to be my own spokesmodel for my costumes back when I didn't have that many clients and like was trying to get noticed Mm -hmm. Um, so I started out doing like online drag competitions for beginners just Mm -hmm. as like a way to practice because it's like the challenges were interesting and it gave me a chance to just like build my portfolio and do things I wouldn't have tried otherwise um, and then through doing that, then I like met other people in the city who then were like, oh, like, let's go to this party together. And then like once I'm going out, then people would ask if I'm performing. And it took like three years from starting to go out to like actually getting on stage just because for various reasons, like one, not having any performance experience, not thinking it was something I would be good at. Two, mm-hmm. like always have been a behind the scenes person. Yeah. Three, like not feeling like it was accessible to me as someone who's not male. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, once I started getting into it, 
like I made sure what I was doing was very on point so that nobody mm-hmm. would be able to tell me that like what I was doing wasn't real. Yeah. Um, and the response was fine. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I started an advantage because like I was getting shows from people who already knew who I was through costuming, like mm-hmm. a lot of my clients. Um, so that definitely helped, but I think I also proved my own way through what I was doing. Yeah. I mean, I feel like when, as someone who has produced shows, when you see someone who does a lot of work um, in other aspects of their life and you can see the care that goes into what they do, hiring someone, even if you've never seen them perform, you know that there's going to be a certain level of professionalism mm. that comes with that. So it's easier to book them, even mm-hmm. though you don't haven't seen it yet. Yeah, it has led to some interesting because so like a lot of my friends and like the drag that I connect to is in Brooklyn but a lot of my clients are in Manhattan mm-hmm. and then I get booked for their shows and I just like don't fit in with anything that's happening yeah um so those have been some interesting nights of just like I'm gonna do this six minute long song that you've never heard of but <laughs> you're gonna like it <laughs> you're gonna like it you're gonna get it it's gonna be great yeah we're going to go on this journey together <laughs> I did one of the like <laughs> biggest flops of my career was I got booked by one of my clients to do a holiday show at therapy or hardware industry one of those I always get mm-hmm. them mixed up um, and I being Jewish <laughs> have this number that starts out as it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas but I'm like wrapped in a blanket and like look really angry about it just like (laughs) and then it goes into this like whole thing of like you know i'm jewish so i don't get to celebrate christmas and i feel left out and everyone else is getting presents and having fun and i'm just like here by myself and then it goes into a cover of eight days a week and then it turns into a hanukkah mix and i have like a menorah and i like like the candles and hand out chocolates um so i'm doing this and there's a lot of audience participation that like I hand out invitations to my party and then like nobody comes to my party and then I'm like handing out chocolate and this audience was just like staring at me blank faced or like not <laughs> even wanting to make eye contact and like not taking anything I was trying to hand out. So I'm just kind of like putting it in their lap because they're not engaging at all oh and no. they just seemed really upset about it. And then I realized like during what they were suggesting for like the drag roulette in the second half of the show, like, oh, they just want to hear Mariah Carey. They do yep. not like my commentary about how I don't care about Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is not my audience. Holiday shows are always tough. They're my favorite shows mm-hmm. because, I mean, I grew up in a household that was half Jewish and half mm. Christian, so I got both. Um, although we didn't really celebrate Hanukkah. I think my mom had some, like, built-up resentment against it, so we just yeah. kind of ignored it. I mean, um, Hanukkah's not really a real holiday. Like, it's only yeah. what it is because... Jewish parents didn't want their kids to feel left out on Christmas. Yeah, completely. And it's, yeah. And it's a relatively recent holiday. Yeah. Like it, I, I was about to spout a date and I was like, that's, <laughs> I don't actually know the date. But like, it's not, yeah, it's not that big of a deal in the calendar. Yeah. And so my mom always like, was like, no, we're just going to do Christmas. It's mm. going to be great. It's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. Um, so I grew up with a lot of Christmas music and a lot of just like that kind of thing. So holiday shows are my favorite mm-hmm. shows and so i'll show up and like do one of my favorite holiday songs has that isn't anywhere because i didn't know that like 
I grew up in a house where I thought they stopped making movies in the 70s Aww. until I was like 12. Aww. So like all of my references are like classic film references and like old music and that kind of stuff. So I show up and do that kind of stuff and at holiday shows and they're like, wait, but, <laughs> but, uh, wait, what? <laughs> and yeah. slowly but surely I'm like working some Sia Christmas in there mm-hmm. and Kelly Clarkson and like now it's starting to like make a little more sense. Mm-hmm. But for a long time it was that like 1960s, I'm doing this number from Holiday Inn and people yeah. are like, what's Holiday Inn? And I'm like, never mind, don't, <laughs> don't watch it, it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> so after that show I came up with a new like holiday act that it starts out as Mariah Carey and then you know I come out in my like blonde wig and my cute little Christmas outfit that I like got for free from somebody (laughs) and then it tears away into like a black shag wig and a My Chemical Romance t-shirt and like you know plaid skirt scrappy (laughs) things and then it goes into the My Chemical Romance cover of All I Want for Christmas is You and I have this big Christmas box that's full of like Jack Skellington plushie studded belt. Oh my god, <laughs> like, that's incredible! Sweater with a rib cage on it. So then, and then it ends with me like smearing black lipstick all over my face and like crying. <laughs> I uh, I was homeschooled, and I have uh-huh. a lot of friends from growing up that would very much appreciate yeah. that number. <laughs> that number, it either like really upsets people or people <laughs> really connect. To it. I can see that. <laughs> The, the Nightmare Before Christmas urge is very strong in a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so so you started, so you designed first, then you kind of started drag. Yeah. Where did you, you kind of teased before we started uh, recording, but where did your name come from? So Pieretta is the feminine version of the Pierrot clown, who is yeah, my painting Pierrot. right over here. Um, my sewing machine used to be right here, so she like watched over me while I sewed. Um, I just... For some reason, I've always been really into, like, the clown aesthetic. Um, I was obsessed with Cirque du Soleil when I was, like, eight years old. Which is fair. Um, It's incredible. Yeah. My, like, wallpaper in my bedroom that I picked out when I was four was clowns. I don't (laughs) know why that's always been my thing. Um, But then I started reading about, like, the different archetypes of the clowns, and the Pierrot is very much, like, the symbol of the artist throughout, Mm. like, the Renaissance and that whole era. Um that it's this like melancholy but also naivete of yeah. like believing like you know Piero's in love with the moon even though like obviously they can never connect but it's still just like you know looks up to this beautiful thing in the sky and yeah. thinks they have some sort of connection Um, And then there's also, I've learned more recently, which after I chose the name, but also makes me much more happy about it, is that Pyro is canonically gender fluid or gender neutral. Interesting. Yeah. I never knew that. Yeah. Um, That it's like a very androgynous character, like big balloony outfit, kind of simple, slightly feminine, but like not super feminine makeup, Mm -hmm. uh, usually skull cap rather than any sort of hair that indicates one gender or the other. Um, Interesting. I've never yeah. thought about it like that. Yeah. And then my last name, Victoria, comes from Victor Victoria. So yes. it's like halfway, like not quite Victor, not quite Victoria. Um, but then it also, um, Victor Victoria was playing in the delivery room while I was oh. being born. 
Oh my god. <laughs> so basically I've been destined for this my entire life. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and when I moved into this apartment, my mom's housewarming gift to me was a DVD of Victor Victoria. <laughs> oh, I love yeah. that. It's such a good show yeah. and so many people don't know it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um and I feel like it's but only you know, like it's women only like can't do drag. <laughs> <laughs> right? I feel yeah, I feel like it's only like Julie Andrews stands mm-hmm. who really know that movie. Yeah. Because the musical didn't even last that long on Broadway. Like, it was kind of on and off, and it was a weird little blip. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've only ever seen the movie. Yeah. Oh, it's not worth really seeing the stage <laughs> version. The movie's so good. Uh-huh. I mean, Robert Preston and Julie Andrews are legends for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really interesting. I never knew I never knew that about yeah. Piero. Because uh, one, one of the arias, because my background is in opera. Mm. Um, and one of the arias that I sing or sang most often um, when I was performing was Piero's Tanzlied from its, its little tiny, no one knows it opera. Um, but it's the perfect character because he only shows up for like the second act. Very first song is an aria sung by Piero, part of a, an acting troupe, never sings anything else. He sings everyone claps he walks off stage and that's it Hmm. i was like this is the perfect role for me and then knowing now knowing that it's an androgynous character just gives me Mm -hmm. even more of that incentive to keep going with that character that's really cool and like a lot of artists have connected to that character because it's kind of like you know has everything stacked against him but still like believes that everything is good and everything will be good and like is a hopeful character yeah despite you know, being downtrodden. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's the, the original version of that meme that's going around of the mom from Family Guy, like, the 10 minutes before, for, before performing, yeah. and she's, like, bawling yep. her eyes out, and then performance <laughs> time in her fishnets. Like, mm-hmm. like, that's just, that's the life of an artist. Yeah. Um, so then, so tell me a little bit more about, like, what you what you like to perform like your impetus mm. for performing like that kind of thing because you're a very different kind of performer than i feel a lot of other people are mm. like you have a very clear it's kind of changed vision. over the years so my first ever performance which again i like came into by accident because i had a lot of friends up in albany mm-hmm. and i had been hanging out with them and then they're like, oh, we're having like this big Pokemon party up here in a couple weeks. Like yes. we're bringing queens up from New York City. You should ask if you can have a ride. So then I messaged the host. I'm just like, hey, like for this is happening. I'd like to come. Is there any room in the car? Like I'll turn a cute look. And then the host was like, are you shyly asking if you can be in the show? So then I like went to my friend and was like, what do I do? And they're like, say yes. And I'm like, uh, Yes. Um, so it's like, okay, now I have to do something like really impressive because they like, you know, put my name on the flyers, one of the headliners, like from New York city, oh my God. like not knowing that I had no idea what I was doing. So then it being a Pokemon show, I had just made, um, a transformation costume for Pattaya Heart where, I don't know if you've seen, she does this like mm. cell block tango number where she plays all the characters and has yes. a costume change and a wig change for each person. Oh my God. It's amazing. <laughs> So I had just done this thing for her where it's like a dress that flips down into a different dress and then tears away into a bodysuit. So I was like, this could be really fun for a Pokemon revolution. Yes. So I ended up doing 
Caterpie into Metapod into Butterfree. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, and people still talk about that act, even though I never do it because it's got this like seven foot wingspan that like doesn't fit into a lot of the venues here. Oh no. <laughs> um, so like everyone was really impressed by that. And then it kind of became my thing to like have all these different reveals and costumes, you know, as a designer, it was basically like, this is a chance for me to show off what I'm doing mm -hmm. and like basically be a billboard for myself. Yeah, like, completely. You know, how many looks can I fit into five minutes? Yeah. Um, but, you know, that number, it's weird because it's, I like the number. It's good. I know it's good, but I don't like performing it because it's very much like what I was told that I should be doing. Mm. So it's like, you know, a mix with top 40 songs and spoken word and comedy and sound yeah. effects. And it's like not what I like to do anymore. Yeah. So like I spent a while doing that and like I don't do most of those mixes anymore just because I don't really connect with them. And then uh, it was actually going to nightgowns for the first time where I was kind of in this like weird existential crisis of like I had just done this big competition where I had decided to do a song that people didn't recognize and it was a little more conceptual and it went over really badly. Mm -hmm. Like I couldn't post the video that I took of the performance because everyone was just like talking to each other so loudly. You couldn't hear the music. Oh no. I got $1, <laughs> like left the show crying. Yeah. And then a couple weeks later I went to nightgowns and it's like, Oh, like there is an audience for what I want to be doing. So then that kind of sent me in the opposite direction of mm -hmm. like, I'm just going to go like as weird as I want to be and hope somebody likes it maybe like you know maybe it's just not the right audience so then that's when i started moving more towards the brooklyn scene and now more what i do is pick a song that i like that i connect to and then figure out a narrative to go with it yeah um and usually i like to kind of find some way to subvert what the song was originally about and like give it you know political or social message mm -hmm. um so then a couple months after that then i won my first um manhattan bar competition it was lady gaga night and i did um summer boy but i had my friend record clips so it's like cat calls that correspond to the lyrics of the song so i start oh, wow. out in a bikini and it's like cute summery and then as the song goes on then i'm putting on more and more clothing and like you know it goes from like a swim top to a tank top to a t-shirt to a sweater to like a bikini bottom to a short skirt to a long skirt and then it ends up with me like putting a bag over my head and the shirts say things like you know no stop go away leave me alone wow um, and then the second act <coughs> i did perfect illusion and then I had another friend record all these quotes of like, well, you can't do drag. There's no illusion. Like, you think anyone's going to pay to see you? <laughs> and then I replaced every time it said love with drag. So it's like, <coughs> it's not drag. It's a perfect illusion mistaken for drag. And I then at the end of that, that, so like that is the only number that I wear hip pads for because I look ridiculous with them. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know you can. Yeah, 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 completely. Um, <laughs> And so I have hip pads, I have my corset, I have 
breast pads. I have a lace front, which I don't usually wear because I don't really like the way they look on me. And then at the end, I strip everything off, and then I have a sign that says, like, we're all born naked and the rest is drag. That's amazing. Or um, my... You saw my recent, or did you not see? I didn't see it. Yeah. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't get into the room. <laughs> I did the, co- I did um, polish to the queen at mm-hmm. Stonewall, and the, it was so packed. Like I literally, I was like standing next to the stage and couldn't like get around <laughs> to see anything. It's just like I yeah. gave up at one point, well, which was good. We want audiences that big. <laughs> hopefully, that's gonna be my Bushwick number. I'm good. Working on adding more to it to make it more relevant to what's going on right now. Mm. Um, but basically it started as I was booked last year, last summer for a clown and circus themed show. And somehow I do not have a clown themed number (gasps) because that's just like, how, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I feel like everyone has a clown number. It's just like, no, what am I just going to do? Like laughing track and be like, right. Um, if it makes you feel better, I don't have a clown number either. <laughs> Cause clowns scare me. Well, <laughs> not, I'm, not I'm you, nice not you. Yeah. I try very hard <laughs> to like, I don't feed into like that, you know, sharp teeth, red nose, Halloween. I mean, to be fair, thing. I don't think clowns necessarily scare me. I think I'm at a point where like circus clown types mm-hmm. just annoy me. Yeah. Cause I'm like, they just don't know when to stop because it's clown logic and I've taken clown classes mm-hmm. and I understand and I get it. Yeah. But at a certain point, like if you could tell someone's not into it, like go to yeah. the next person, and people I just mean, don't that seem be to get that. I mean, that for a lot of drag queens too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's also yeah. I mean, drag is clowning in my opinion. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it comes with its own logic and its own look. Yep. Um, and its own archetypes. So it started out like I was just walking home from something at three in the morning, and it just like popped into my head like, wouldn't it be funny if I did "Don't Speak" by No Doubt as a mime? <gasps> and so oh then <laughs> it started as that and then because i'm me was like it has to have some sort of like twist or reveal yeah so then at the end then it went from you know this black and white mime into like a rainbow clown outfit and then i like pulled out a lipstick and i drew like the big clown lips and the red nose and the cheeks and then i just intended to be like a cute like you know different types of clowns number but then the host of that show was like wow i've never seen my entire childhood displayed on stage in five minutes like that before so then i was like huh so then i reworked it i ended up doing it at mix nobody a couple Mm -hmm. months later as a like i in the middle of it inserted like so it goes for me like right as I'm taking off like the gloves and the wig and the hat and the neck ruffle of the mime and like stripping down then there's this like glass shatter noise and then I fall to the ground and then I found this recording online of that poem about the holocaust where it's like first they came for the socialists mm-hmm. and I did not speak out and then it, there's like a projection video of me like taking my makeup off and like you know hiding kind of and then it goes into like and then there was nobody left to speak out for me and then that's when I, like, go into the rainbow clown, and then it turns into, like, speak up, speak out, like, be loud. And then this year, a year later, I updated it even further for, like, you know, the recent, like, hate crimes that have gone on. There was, like, a shooting at a recent Pride event, the neo-Nazis that showed up at the Pride event. Mm-hmm. So I included um, news clips about that. And then I think now it's going to move even forward to, like, you know, the current immigration crisis and like 
you know, literal concentration camps and like, what does that mean for me as a queer Jewish person who like, you know, back then would have been that person. Yep. That's something that's been frustrating me a lot. (laughs) Um, And I'll come back to that in a second Mm because I'd love to talk about that. Um, But I also want to say that's one thing that I think impresses me about your drag versus a lot of um, a lot of other like a lot of mainstream drag is that um, you do go back and rework things Mm -hmm. and you instead of just like doing the same thing for the rest of time. Yeah. Like seeing, oh, I can make this better and actually being willing to change it and make it better. Mm -hmm. I mean, I even see that in myself where I'm like, no, that's the mix. I'm just. Yeah. That's just what I'm going to do. And it's really impressive. It's something (laughs) I struggle with a lot is like, how do you strike the balance between having signature numbers and just like doing the same thing over and over? Yeah. That there's certain ones that I've kind of retired because I feel like they've just like run their course and like don't really have anything left to say. So like unless I can figure out something else to do with them, I had this really good number that it was originally in response to like right after Trump got elected when he like just locked down the whole like environmental protection act Mm -hmm. and like, you know, shut down the national parks and whatever. So it was a statement on that and like him saying global warming doesn't exist. And it was kind of this like environmental scientist and it it starts out as like air from hair. um, And then it goes into this like, you know, nuclear meltdown, like zombie thing. That's amazing. (laughs) Um, So then you know, I was like, this is a really good number, but, like, all of these news clips are two and a half years old, so then I just, like, you know, changed it, so then it's just, like, oh, no, zombie invasion, like, yeah. <laughs> generic. I mean, there's a lot of it. stuff, because the, they're now, I mean, smart people are talking about how we're, like, 18 months away yeah. from irreversible climate change, so there's definitely place to go with that, mm-hmm. that number and that idea. Yeah. Um, which is also, I was thinking about that on my ride here today mm. on the train and just like, that's a year and a half and then we're all going to die. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we live in a great time, people. Uh, but my favorite example of that is my You and Your Hand Act, mm. which I came up with the idea during the election, finally debuted it right after the inauguration and then had been doing it for a while. And then like, you know, two years later, it's like, you know, okay. Yeah. He said like, grab her by the pussy. Like, so what? Like we're past that. Yeah. Um, But then when I got selected to do nightgowns, uh, I wanted to do that number because that was the number that Sasha first became aware of me. And Mm. she was really impressed with that. So like, I knew that would be a good thing to share. And she was like, Oh yeah, our audience is going to really like that. And then uh, I was originally going to do something else. And then the whole Harvey Weinstein thing happened. Got it. So then I kept the mix the same, but then with the addition of the projections, then, you know, it went from like Harvey Weinstein into the whole Me Too movement into like, how mm-hmm. do we move forward from this? And like, is it a symptom of like this person being in the White House that this is now so prevalent? And like, yeah, yeah that's probably like, I think, probably the best thing I've ever done <laughs> that after that I was like, how do I move past this? Like, right. <laughs> well, we'll see. That's the problem with peak yeah. experiences is that you're like, well, that's it folks. I'm, I'm good for the yeah. rest of time. And I, I still have people come up to me like telling me that act like made them cry. 
Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, though. Um, but yeah, going back to what you're saying earlier, mm-hmm. since especially as queer people, I feel like we have a, a lot of us tend to suppress a lot of our political mm. voice because we don't see it being put out there Mm -hmm. so in a lot of these conversations i do like to encourage people to be political and talk about that kind of stuff um and especially as queer jewish people i find it very disheartening that we aren't talking more about what's happening at the Mm -hmm. border like that was the first thing i said as soon as i heard people were being detained was this is concentration camps again the u.s is the u.s has already gone through this first off yeah we already detained japanese americans during world war ii and we already went through this in germany mm-hmm. and now as like where are the jewish people like yeah. where are my people why aren't we saying something <laughs> i think people are scared yeah i don't know i think i mean for me personally even just like i try to be as like informed and as loud about things like this as i can but like it's gotten overwhelming it has very much gotten overwhelming (laughs) you know how much of this can you listen to before it just starts like messing with your own mental health Mm -hmm. so it's been kind of hard to find a balance on that of like how do i deal with this but also protect myself yeah Yeah, absolutely. And I think something that I've had a lot of conversations with people about is the the kind of how do I put this? The the genetic markers of that oppression because it's as a white person who's also Jewish, there's this weird fence that you have to walk between thousands of years Mm -hmm. of oppression and slavery and all these kinds of things. But also like we aren't currently necessarily on the front lines of that oppression, Mm. but we know it and we've lived it. So we have a certain obligation to advocate against it and to help people. Mm -hmm. But like getting that across in a, in a constructive way is really difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also, like, speaking of genetics, there actually is scientific proof that if someone goes through a big trauma, like the Holocaust, Mm -hmm. then, like, that gets passed down in their genetics. Yeah. And, like, you know, people generations later will have these innate, like, fears and responses to things and not really understand why. Yeah, completely. You know, my dad has a lot of problems with, like and like control and like yeah. you know you kind of see that's a little bit passed oh down yeah to me. <laughs> i mean my mom and myself are the same way yeah um and very like you know keeping things close to the belt because you never know who's coming for you yeah kind of thing so it's like if i do speak out am i going to be next yeah you know um so that's a hard thing to with yeah it really really is and especially because it is so recent Mm -hmm. in history like my it was my my grandma was the first one in her family who was born here Mm -hmm. and the rest of her family that stayed behind in the ukraine all died in treblinka so like it's 
it isn't even like two generations back. It's just a yeah. generation back. Yeah. No, my dad's whole family, some of them survived. Most of them did not. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, we don't have those records because my yeah. grandma escaped just barely before then because of the Cossack raids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like growing up, my mom wouldn't ever let us watch anything, mm. any movies that had to do with the Holocaust. Like I hadn't seen Schindler's List till college and I hadn't seen Sophie's Choice till college. And um, like there's a lot of actual pain there, like mm-hmm. s- firsthand pain there, um, which then bring it to our generation. We don't know what to do with because right. we just like it's just there. Yeah. Um, and. So it it's it is that weird thing where I see what's happening at the border and I'm like I need to do something I need to say something I but then you just feel helpless cuz you're like but we didn't know what to do or say when it happened to us either mm-hmm. and there wasn't a way to learn from that except pain cuz right being Jewish it's kind of a lot of pain and then complaining and then not doing anything cuz we don't <laughs> know what to do <laughs> Yeah <laughs> We're just going to sit here and whine about it yep. until something changes, but it probably <laughs> won't. Yeah. So it puts us in a weird place. And then as queer people on top of that, because we're also going through mm-hmm. current issues, um, it's like there's this weird pressure to do something and yet there's no yeah. clear direction, which is why I choose drag, which is why I do art, mm-hmm. because I'm like, this makes me feel like I'm doing something, but... Yeah. Which is, again, why I really appreciate your drag because it it does push those boundaries and it does force people to think and mm-hmm. yet still have fun while they're thinking so they choose to think about it. Yeah, I mean, I love watching other people do numbers that are just, like, really selling a song and doing all the flips and splits and tricks. Mm-hmm. But for me personally, if I don't have anything to say, then what's the point? Yeah. Like, I am never someone who's just going to do a song just to lip sync the song yeah that's not what i connect to yeah and to be fair i do like to remind myself that there is there is a purpose to lip syncing a song and Mm -hmm. to being a dancer and doing that because being queer and being in drag is an act of defiance and it Mm -hmm. is a political act at this point in history yeah Um, and i think there's also you know there's numbers you do for other people and there's numbers you do for yourself absolutely if so. I was able to just do drag for myself, yeah. it would just be ballads constantly. <laughs> <laughs> just living my Barbara Streisand mm-hmm. fantasy. <laughs> yeah. So this weekend I'm doing um, this song that I mentioned earlier. It's like a six minute long song. It's so obscure. It technically doesn't even exist online. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but Stonewall's going to hear it and they're going to like it. <laughs> yes. I feel like that's a good venue for that too, though, because yeah. people are, at least in Manhattan, people are a little bit more... You go to Stonewall expecting a certain political experience because it's Stonewall. Um, I mean, I do. I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm weird, but yeah. My so my parents, the only two times they've ever come see me perform, were when I did nightgowns and the first time I performed at Stonewall. Which, like, to me, you know, having been there so many times, I'm just like, oh, it's just like another bar full of like weird tourists yeah. and, and chasers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then. I had to take a step back and be like, no, that actually is really cool that, like, I'm at, you know, this venue where this whole All movement of these started. Happened. Yeah. And they were really proud of me for it. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. I mean, my first time performing at Stonewall was when I did Polish. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and that was the first time being at Stonewall in drag too. And it does something to your psyche of just yeah. like, wait a second. And that was right after the 50th anniversary of Pride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I marched in the parade mm. as well. And it was, there was this weird feeling of like, yeah, I'd been in New York and yeah, I'd been to Stonewall before, but it just kind of flipped the script and was like, no, this is yeah. important. Like, yeah, it's just a bar, but it's, it's an important bar right now. <laughs> yeah. Did you grow up in New York or? Yes and no. Um, I grew up in Westchester, so it's like okay, like a 30-minute train ride down to the city. So I was in the city a lot, mm-hmm. you know, from like middle school onward. And I took weekend and summer classes in the city. And then I like lived here for school. Yeah. And then I moved home for a couple years because like you know, there was no point in me, like, getting an apartment while I was in school, because it was like, I'll just do the dorms that are, like, $2,000 a semester. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then I moved back home, and then I was immediately like, I need to get back to the city. I hate it here. Yeah. Even being that far out, sometimes the yeah. suburbs get a little Because I never learned how to drive, because I was too busy taking all these classes, yeah. so I'm just, like, stuck in the middle of nowhere, where, like, you know, it's a 20-minute walk to the town which is just like a cvs a starbucks and a pizza place yeah and like there's no <laughs> a- culture anything interesting yeah so i'm just like i need to get out of here like i need to be able to like leave the house and go do something or like get stuff on my own without walking 45 minutes to the supermarket yeah oh yeah completely when you find that you're the culture in the town yeah. is the time to go elsewhere yeah and i was absolutely like that kid in school who like everyone was staring at because i looked weird and like you know it wasn't like i didn't want that attention i just wanted to look like this like i would yeah, look like exactly. this even if nobody was paying attention so like i'm much more comfortable here where like usually i'm not the weirdest person in the room you know yeah no completely <laughs> like last night i went to some bodega and this guy just like walked in stood in the center of the floor and started screaming you got red bull you got red bull like over and over and over until someone responded (laughs) just like i love new york like this is normal here and nobody is blinking an eye and it's usually not even the person behind the counter that answers it's just someone walking by no we don't have red bull cool yep and then walks out (laughs) or you're on the subway and someone's just like starts yelling at the air and talking about their life very loudly Mm mm-hmm it's it's an exciting place as someone from the west coast it's a very different experience yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so what do you what do you have coming up like what performances do you have coming up that you would like to plug uh i'll be at stonewall this weekend okay i don't know when this is coming out or if that's useful at all um i'll be at ari kiki's riot show okay um and then past that i'm still trying to figure it out hopefully i'm performing at bushwick they haven't announced the lineup yet um but i'll keep you posted on that yeah i didn't even see the like (laughs) request for performers go out this year it was very confusing yeah it's been a process (laughs) Um, (laughs) but hopefully that works out um then will you be at DragCon at all or depends whether i'm doing bushwick that's fair yeah so i'm very just like waiting like the other shoe hasn't dropped yet oh god yeah that that's gonna be weekend. that's gonna be so weird yeah. either bushwick is gonna be very empty yeah or dragcon is gonna be very empty 
so far from what I've heard, it seems like more people are going to Bushwick. That's what it sounds like. Like, they've been really, like, I've been getting so many emails from yeah. DragCon being like, buy your tickets. This is your last chance to buy your tickets a month later. This is the last, last yeah. chance. Okay. I mean, okay, I think it's, we're not who DragCon is for. Yeah. I think like, it was a good experiment. Yeah. I think if they really wanted to add more availability, they just should add an another day mm-hmm. in LA. It's already four days down yeah. there. So it's just like, well, I think DragCon is for drag race fans. You know, yes. it's for the people in other places who can't just like wander down to the mirror nearest bar and like meet a famous drag queen yeah. who like will pay $40 to wait in line to meet someone who's on TV because they don't get that experience. Otherwise yeah. it's not, for us who like live that yeah and that's completely. not exciting to us um but then like bushwig is more like by drag artists for drag artists yeah and it's more of a real like community experience and like DragCon la can be fun and i love going to it because it has a very much like summer camp vibe to it for mm. drag queens versus like DragCon new york when i went was much more just like we're here because we have to be yeah kind of a vibe um, which wasn't as fun. Yeah. Not not ragging on DragCon, but it's a great idea. It's a beautiful <laughs> idea. Yeah. I B- think... Bushwig is definitely a lot more fun. If it wasn't so monopolized by RuPaul, it would probably be better. Yeah. But... But we'll see. I don't think she's going to let that out of her grip. No, I don't think so either. I mean, I remember, yeah. like, I don't think even the Boulets are yeah. coming to New York. Like, because they're doing their own tour now. So, like, mm-hmm. I think last year they had, like, one corner that mm-hmm. was, like, their thing. But. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's also, like, the Austin Drag Festival, which I've never been to. I haven't been either. Yeah. I almost auditioned one year until I found out that you have to pay your yeah. whole way there. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> I'm good. I already have enough expenses in my life. Yeah. Um, Cool. So. Um, hopefully we'll see you at Bushwick. Mm-hmm. I will absolutely be there. I'm not going to perform. I didn't even apply to perform. Next year. Um, I did it last year. Yeah. It was fun. I think I want to go and experience it as just mm. an audience member and enjoy it. Yeah. Last year I barely got to enjoy it. Cause like I showed up like an hour before my set time. I was backstage. I did my number. I was there for like an hour and then was too tired and had to go home. And then the whole next day, I just like couldn't get out of bed because I was so exhausted from everything I'd been working on. Yeah. And like, I wish I had been able to go more because so for some reason, they always do it at the same time as the Jewish high holidays. Mm -hmm. And this was the first year that it wasn't. So I was actually able to go. Yeah. And I I wish I'd gotten to experience it more because it seemed really cool. Yeah. So hopefully this year. I was one of the like I was in the first hour of performers, Mm. but then the first hour got pushed back like an hour and a half. Yeah. So it was a lot of like standing backstage, just getting annoyed. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't feel like I enjoyed being there as much. Um, so I'm looking forward to just not performing and getting to enjoy other people making their art yeah. and stuff like that. Because it's a great time. Mm-hmm. Um, and where can people find you online, most importantly? <laughs> you can find me on Instagram at Black and White Striped. Um, Facebook at Pieretta Victoria. It's spelled like Pierre with two T's and an A and Victoria, V-I-K-T-O-R-I. Um, where else? You can find me on 
Venmo and Perfect. Square Cash yes. App. Also at Black and White Striped. If you want to send me Perfect. a couple dollars. Yeah. And Always tip your designers, even if they're not your designer. Yes. <laughs> and you can find me on YouTube at some long, ugly URL that I can't remember because I don't have enough followers. So <laughs> go find me, follow me, and then hopefully I can get something nicer. Perfect. <laughs> well, thank you so much yeah. for finding some time to talk. No problem. And we will talk to you all later. Bye. Bye. Yeah, bye. Yeah, bye. Yeah, bye. Thank you for listening to Yeah But with Vivian Gabor. Tune in next week, same place, same time.